Welcome to the Fit40 Podcast, where we take all the confusing, conflicting fitness and nutrition information and break it down so that you can live your healthiest, strongest, most energized life. I'm your host, Brian Fitzsimmons. Let's get it started. Welcome back, everybody, for another fun-filled podcast episode. Today, we got a special guest, my first repeat guest, because we did not even come close to covering everything last time. So I brought Al Painter back in the building to talk all things training, nutrition, endurance stuff, and most importantly, catch back up on the comic book series, the DC universe, the MCU, because that's really why the people came here. So let's get into it, Al. Welcome. Hello, sir. Thanks for having me back on. One of two reasons I'm sitting here today in front of my camera talking to you, either A, you're desperate for guests. You got the summertime lull (laughs) and you're just like, I'll take whoever throws their hat into the ring. And B, your ratings are that bad that it doesn't matter who you talk to anymore. <laughs> Just going to have to keep you in suspense. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, sir. I appreciate being the uh, first repeat orator on this podcast here. Yeah, I'm glad you were the first one. I really am. Because last time we had a blast, I was actually in a different apartment. So that was more than over two years ago. No, one year ago, one year ago. Yeah, that was right before we moved. So that's pretty wild. Nice, man. I agree. I agree. Yeah, now I got a nice little guest room set up. Oh, nice, man. (laughs) But yeah. Um, So let's dive into a little bit of training nutrition. And I have no doubt, fair warning, audience, this will go off on a tangent. This will somehow make its way to comic book stuff. But we'll try. We will do our best to stay on point. (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned to me right before we hopped on that you're getting ready for a mountain bike race. What exactly is the race? What does it entail? It is the the Idaho Senior Games mountain bike race. I did it last year. And there were no senior in the legs of the guys that I was racing against. Much like (laughs) there is pretty much only junior at best in my maturity level, which should come out once we get off on the tangent here at some point. It's coming, people. It's coming. And last year I did it. There's, It's at a bike park right by the house. So it was one of those things to where it's like, man, you'd be a shame if I didn't do it because it's somewhere I ride literally three, four times a week. So I decided to do it again. But this time I got smart about it. I went through the course on my bike and I started picking out time segments. And I found that the longest segment potentially is about six minutes of a climb. And it's, it's, you get a little bit, it, it goes up, it flattens out, goes up, falls flat, kind of stair steps its way to the top. So what I've been trying to do is re- hill repeats. I did hill repeats yesterday to the point where I couldn't think of my name, let alone say it. But that is one of the ways that I found to be most effective to get faster on my bike is repeatedly hammer uphill. And then I remember that, oh yeah, you can lay down power out of the saddle. So now I'm doing hill repeats where I stand for a minute and then I sit for a minute. That way, when I only need to get out of the saddle for about 30 seconds, there'll be enough in the tank to do it. And then that also cool. helps me get into a very deep state of fatigue and, and, and to the point where it sends me deeply the 
lactic acid accumulation that takes place in my lower body. The people that I train love hearing about it because they're like, yay, I was sore and he's suffering. Yay. But me on the other end of that, I'm like, no, this is, this, this is bad. This hurts. But the it's clients love it. when we're in the drive, when right? we get put through the ringer, they're like, yeah. oh, you get to suffer too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They, and in all honesty, the only way to get faster on your bike is to go as deep into the pain cave as you can. So this yeah. year, my goal is to go faster than I did last year. Now that I have all these time segments, I know that, okay, if I'm here at time X, then it should put me there time Y to get time Z for the entire lap. And I'm simulating the race itself every couple of weeks to continue to have those markers. And I'm making the laps intentionally harder than what they're gonna be in the race. So I'm climbing more and I'm taking them out a little bit further from the distance. So that way I'm, I'm building a bigger motor. So that way when I have to ride the shorter distance with luck, there will be more <laughs> in the tank. And so far, so good with the times measured against last year. I'm, I'm pretty pleased to the point where when I did Saturday, I was wishing, darn it, I wish the race was today. But oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And now for everybody listening who did not get all the lingo, don't worry, you're not alone. Some, some of that I didn't even get because <laughs> so endurance is like a different language sometimes, <laughs> but <laughs> To, to simplify it a little bit, when it comes to like a standard week, what does that look like to get ready for a race? Like when you're, when you're at the point you're at now where you're like, what, like a few weeks out? Uh, about four, four weeks today, actually. Four weeks. Okay. So you're still like, we're not overreaching. We're like still kind of like in the build. Yeah. Build slash supper pretty much, pretty much. Cause I, I yeah. wanted to have kind of like a almost an a-frame of the training where i ramp it up i ramp it up and then i do a deload week which i think is coming next week and then we're all just kind of do some super easy spinning and gym workouts primarily and then kick it back up a little bit and then i think within 10 days i'll do a simulated race again and then <laughs> i will just do one more hard workout and then 48 i had a coach uh, this guy, Dan Smith, was Fort Bellow for a super long time. And he said, hey, when you're doing a race, and this applies to running, swimming, whatever. He said, 48 hours from the race, you're off. Don't do anything. Do all your recovery modalities because your body's about 48 hours behind what you do to it, is what he was telling me. And then after that, um, day before the race, you do three 90-second kind of threshold, essentially as hard as you can go more or less sustained for 90 seconds you rest about five minutes in between and then you easy spin the rest of the way when i have legs that are just horrible the day before a race i've had a good race when i've had legs that are really good before the race i'm like oh no i didn't time this right and then the race <laughs> is always just a slog if i have good legs the day before so that's that's my goal so right now i'm riding four to five days a week and I cut back on strength training to two days a week. And I'm hoping that that is what's going to take me across the finish line a little bit faster than I went last year. Gotcha. So you mean to tell me 
that you're not doing two a days. You're not like working out seven days a week, hardcore in addition to your endurance work. No, because there are several stressors this summer. The kids are home. So there's more stress because, you know, keeping the kids happy and everything else. So there's mental stress, right? Then there's the actual stress from planning the workouts and then actually doing them, right? And if my schedule blows up, it's like, okay, my schedule's blew up. What do I do? How do I still make some progress and, and keep going forward? Is it in the gym? Is it, do I go for a walk on a recovery day? Like I've done a lot more walks on recovery days. And I don't know how much that's helping, but it seems to be placebo effect or not. I think maybe just that walking and pumping the body, uh, uh, getting the inflammation to go down, that kind of stuff seems to be working. Like I did a walk on Tuesday because I just could not get on my bike mentally. And then yesterday when I did my hill repeats, whoo, I had a couple, <laughs> couple, couple laps where I was riding seemingly without a chain. And when you're riding without a chain, that, that means that your legs feel really, really good. And they're able to turn the pedals over really well. And then there's, well, you're 52 years old, dude. So, you know, you have to be able to, yeah, would you like to train the way you did when you were 39 and you just started racing? Well, yeah, sure. You know, that was seven days a week. The only rest days were either not riding or not in the gym. Right. And I was able to recover. I was sleeping. We didn't have kids. Right. So there was a lot less of a, a variable factor to juggle. Now there's kids, there's, you know, everything else. So it's like, you got to be smart. And I'm telling you, Brian, <laughs> the personal growth from that almost hurts more than what I do to myself on the bike. You're saying like the mentality of like trying to hold yourself back. That's like the real muscle that's being worked. Yeah. Yeah. Like this morning was just a super easy spin and there's a segment by my house where I tied. So there's a website called Strava. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. Strava. I oh, used it for a whole week. Oh, okay. Okay. So essentially <laughs> in the cycling world, like if it didn't happen or if it wasn't on Strava, it didn't happen. Right. So there's a okay. segment by my house where I tied the KOM, basically the fastest mark last week. And today I was feeling pretty good after the recovery, right? And um, I thought, oh, I'm going to go for it today. I feel good. I'm gonna, And it's only 28 seconds. I'm like, dude, it's 28 seconds. How much damage am I going to do in 28 seconds? And then the, the smarter, dare I say, more, oh, I really don't want to use this word, but whatever. Mature side of me was like, hey, man, don't do that. Those are matches you are going to burn. You're going to need tomorrow. So just don't do it. And I didn't do it. And I'm really glad that I didn't do it because I got off my bike feeling really good Had good breakfast after that did loads of stretching. And, you know, now I know I'll feel better after the race though. I might chase that or on a workout day. I might chase that, that uh, KOM mark. We'll see. We'll see. I like how you said those are matches to burn tomorrow. Is that like, where, where does that come from? I, that's actually the first time I'm hearing it. Uh, my old cycling coach, he, he would, gotcha. uh, hey, you know, your, your box of matches only has so many in them. And if you have a block of training or racing or riding that you have to do, it's going to basically, it's like a gallon of gas on a car type thing, right? Uh -huh. Every pedal stroke is a piece of a match. And if you go through your matches too fast, which my very first mountain bike race, 2006, I took off from the start line and I got like, 50 yards ahead of the pack. And I'm just like, yeah, right on. And then 
within 15, 20 seconds, the needle went from full to empty. And I went from the front of the race to shot out the back of the race because I used all my matches, right? You know, I held on for a decent finish, but I was just, I didn't know, I didn't know any better, right? Yeah. It took off. So now I'm it's like, cool. oh yeah, don't burn the matches. Dose your effort, basically, is what I'm telling you. Yeah, it's kind of like when you see like uh, college runners or like high school runners, there's always somebody that blasts it right out the gate and then they're always at last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't, you can't do that. If you want to have sustained efforts, you can't do that. Even in the race itself, like last year, um, I, on the first lap, I was wearing my heart rate monitor, so I was going by zones and there are five zones and five is essentially just your life is horrible. There's really no way around it. Right. So the first lap I was in pretty high, you know, four and a half plus zones. And I thought, man, you can't, you can't go faster because you still have two more laps. It's about four miles a lap and it hurt my soul, my ego more than my legs to know that I have to dial it back a little bit, try to use the second lap to recover and then just hit it on the third lap. So that's what I did. I intentionally went a little bit slower on the second lap, recovered a lot more. And cause the race only has realistically about eight to 10 minutes of total climbing, which I mean, that's, that's perfect. <laughs> that's far as I'm concerned. And uh, <laughs> you know, I always forget in the sport of mountain biking is the word mountain, which denotes going up. Right. I don't like that uh -huh. part. I've been doing this since 2001. I still don't like that part. My parents didn't give me that kind of DNA. Right. I know people that could climb for hours. And in fact, there was a climb around here. It's, it's an annual event and it's a 19 mile climb. I would know. I'm never going to do that. I'll drive it. If they want somebody to drive support. Sure. Well, I have bottles or whatnot, but I'm not riding 19 miles uphill because I'll blow up. Even if I'm in phenomenal yeah. condition, my DNA will not let me do that. And if I, if I finish, I'll be wrecked for a week, if not more. Right. So I, now I also know the parameters at the age of 52, even more what I can ride within, where my strengths are, where my strengths aren't more importantly. Now, when you're doing that, is that like pure lactic threshold where it's like, you're just burning that pedal, like going all out the whole time, or is there ever that moment of like, all right, I don't even feel it because it hurts so bad. <laughs> <sighs> there, you know, it's funny. There's, there's a moment. I almost want to say clarity where your body's in that much pain, but your brain just kind of really slows down and, and you just, it opens up. It's the weirdest thing, man. Like a lot of my creative ideas come in the pain cave just because I can't focus on anything else. So my brain's just, I don't know if it's a coping mechanism or what, but I, I just get more creativity. It's the weirdest thing, man, but you can't, you yeah. can't, I mean, it, if you have 50 miles worth of gas, you can't drive a hundred, right? So you have to, mm -hmm. you have to paint on the canvas that, or more importantly, you got to pedal on the canvas your body gives you on a particular day. You, you can't, which is why you can't finish a marathon at a sprint pace because you blow up. It just doesn't, it's a, it's a methodical, it's a chess match, it's strategy, it's pacing, it's knowing when to kick and accelerate and, and, and not. Right. If I can date myself, yeah. 
knowing when to hold and when to fold and when to walk away and when to run, you know, it's like that. Yeah. I just completely dated myself and probably lost half of the <laughs> listeners, but at any rate, it's that just being really smart with your approach and your strategy. Yeah. And I like how you, like how you described that the whole, like you get like some really good thoughts in there and it's like, you almost feel at peace. It's kind of like you're yeah. in the eye of the storm and that's kind of the like of a similar feel of like, I remember back in the day, like my coach used to make me do like, and the whole football team do like 20 rep squats with a like way too high of a percentage of weight that nobody could ever get it. But like, you kind of get to that point where it's like, no matter how much it hurts, you're kind of in your head and you're just like, you're almost separated from your body where it's like, I'm here. Okay. Like yeah. I, I'm get I can like think clearly. And I think that that's part of what plays into the whole science behind like how it's so much easier to deal with stress when you exercise frequently compared Yo. to somebody who doesn't because you get practice with it. It's like your whole world is burning around you and you're thinking to yourself, oh boy, as long as I don't fart, we're good. <laughs> yeah, and you, you'll learn a lot of viable life skills like how to drink from a bottle water bottle how to grab it when you're in that deep of a physical stress to be able to have the cognitive cognitive awareness of your body and your hand going to the bottle taking a drink and knowing where that cage is on the way back down you know and it's just all these other things the um, handling skills my handling skills have ex exponentially improved when i started racing just because in a race, you don't care, right? You'll go as fast as you do, whatever you can, put your wheel in front of the person in front of you. You learn a lot on the fly. <laughs> Most of the time it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. But once you get up, dust yourself off and you keep going. And you're like, okay, well, next time I won't try that. Like the other day, I was on a on one of my training rides and I was practicing my cornering. and I was just flying, 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 flying. Because the day before, I was helping one of the local coaches out at a mountain bike skills clinic. We're doing something super cool where he's teaching them how to ride their bikes. And I'm teaching them mm -hmm. what their bodies should be doing off their bike and teaching them about diagonal lines and how it relates to cornering and everything else. So I can translate what he's trying to tell them. Oh, man, I'm telling you, Brian, it is so much fun the way people are learning because now they have <laughs> here's the skill. Well, I can't do the skill to the left as well as I do it to the right. Well, hold on. You can. And we're going to fix it real quick. It's because your brain's not talking to the half of your body. Let's do some quick isometrics, reconnect things. Boom. Oh, and it works like a charm, <laughs> luckily, every time. It's awesome. So yeah. we get that the day before. So I had a lot of what he was teaching about cornering my mind, and I was using it and flowing. And I had one turn left in a series of S turns at speed. I was carving and I thought, I'm going to try to get a little more speed out of this. That was a very bad idea because I went from riding my mountain bike <laughs> cornering to looking like I was trying to break up a double play. And I went down hard and had a couple, couple aches and pains that lasted for a minute. And uh, like, like see stars kind of hit hard type thing. And then when I, <laughs> there was a branch that scratched my eye, like right at the, where the edge of my, my sunglasses were. And I was like, Ooh. Oh my God, another quarter inch or so in a different direction. And this could have been <laughs> a lot uglier. But when I got home, I, I 
took stock and everything was all right. But it was, it, it was a very viable life lesson. Like, hey, you had the opportunity to do really well and you got greedy and you learned why, why you shouldn't do that. And now I know when I'm going through that turn where I crash, I'm like, okay, now I know what to do to get as much juice out of out of the turn as I can, but yet be able to continue on. So there's always things to learn <laughs> one way or the other. Yeah. And and to bring it back, like how you said, like when people were having trouble, like left to right, where it's like, all right, we just need to recalibrate your body a little bit by doing like a couple exercises here and there. It's almost like when somebody's like squat or deadlift feels off, but like if they do like a single leg squat or a single leg deadlift beforehand and then go into it, it's like, oh, all of a sudden it's nice and smooth. So it really comes down to like prioritizing like certain patterns and certain ways of doing things so that your body has to figure it out in a different way, right? Yeah, definitely. And, and the folks that were doing it, it, it was making them aware of, look, your left hand and your right foot play diagonally through your body. And vice versa. I can look your your arms and your legs are your spokes, and your core and your hips are the the hub of your wheel. And if your spokes aren't connected tightly to the hub, the wheel's gonna wobble when it moves. So if we can get that connection right in the middle of your hub to be as solid as possible, everything else is super easy. And then you know, just telling folks, look, you also might corner one way better than the other because your range of motion turning your head one way is better than the other. Okay, well, why is it better than than it is the other way, or I'm sorry, not as good as it is the other way. You know, why is one hip strong and gives you power through a turn, but the other one's not online? Well, let's look at that connection from the shoulder to the hips that might not be as strong. Let me guess that opposite shoulder is probably a lot tighter. Do an arm raise, can't do it. Like, okay, well, let's let's begin to get the muscles to activate the way that we want them to off your bike. And then when you get on the bike, everything is so much easier. And it's going to make a lot more sense and you'll be able to execute the skill. And more importantly, you'll have more fun because you'd be more relaxed. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it also gets into the, the idea of like fitting the equipment to your body instead of vice versa. Like I'm guessing that when it comes to biking or like any, I mean, golf, like I've noticed too, like with the fitting of the clubs, it's like, if you make this equipment fit you as opposed to you trying to make the equipment work, things seem to work better. Yeah. There's a guy around here. His name's Ben Stein and he did my bike fit and he gave me what's called a retool bike fit where you, you have dots Velcroed to your body and you ride and, and he can see the joint angles on the screen. And then he adjusts the cleat seat, saddle height, fore, aft handlebars. I mean, to the nth degree, so you can get as much power out of your riding as possible. And the day after I got that fit, I set a bunch of PRs and, and he coached me last summer and he's the one, he, he really emphasized the recovery rides. And I didn't do them last year. I was just like, I'll go hard. I'll recover in the gym. And my race results uh -huh. showed accordingly. But this year using his strategy of, of more recovery rides, I think that's where the biggest difference is coming from and the, the speed that I'm picking up. So yeah, it, it, the fit is huge because if, if you're clipped in on your bike, you're at the mercy of the angles of your seat and cleats on your, on your shoes, more or less. Right. And if, and your handlebar position, everything else, if those are off, your body's going to be forced to move in planes of motion. It might not like, so if you start developing aches and pains, chances are you're going to get some muscle imbalances around that. And it's not 
going to be as fun because you won't get as much power. You won't be as smooth cornering. You won't be as efficient. Your handling sk skills will fatigue faster. It's not as fun. Even if you're riding flat pedals, you're still at the mercy of the, the seat position because it could be too high, it could be too far back, and that's going to affect the contact point of your foot on the pedal and your angle from your hip to your shoulders. I mean, it's still going to be a whole thing. So everybody, all the riders around here that I talk to, I'm like, hey, you got to go see Ben and get everything dialed in if you want to go as fast as possible. Yeah. Makes a world of difference. It's well, kind of like when you get yeah. like a proper running shoe for the first time and it's like, oh, this is how it's supposed to feel. <laughs> yeah. 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 A, a zero drop with a white toe box yeah. running shoe, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Isn't everybody doing Roka nowadays anyway? <laughs> yeah. So that, that's what I'm getting ready for now. And then as soon as the race is done, the very next day, I'm going to switch gears because up here they have a duathlon that is stand-up paddle boarding and running. So uh -huh. I'm going to, somebody's going to do the run and I'm going to do the paddle boarding. And hmm. I'm really looking forward to that. Cause that's just diagonal chopping patterns for however long that's I meant. Is it like a mile, maybe something like that. And a mile doesn't really seem that long, but when you're trying to paddle as hard as you can, I'm thinking, my God, my legs are in really they're the ones that are going to be in condition aerobically. How am I going to get my upper body conditioned aerobically, right? So now I'm starting to think about, okay, they at the, the gym where I go, they have the, the rope pull thing. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe I'll do diagonal pulling on the rope. Uh, uh, you know, EMOM chop workouts, minute on, minute off, and that kind of thing. Because <laughs> when we first got up here, in 2021 in Idaho, we went to one of the local lakes and how many times have you trained somebody and then went to go do something and the next time you saw them, they were in massive amounts of pain because they didn't prepare their bodies or tell you what they wanted to do so you couldn't get them ready for it. That was paddle Like everybody on day one of pickleball or golf. <laughs> right? <laughs> I was out on my board for a good two hours, if not more. And Oh my God. I had a knot in one of my lats the next day that was excruciating. I mean, oh. I've thrown batting practice 200 plus pitches before, did not feel anything the next day, but that standing chopping motion. Oh, dude. So now I know, okay, Mr. Smart guy, what would you tell somebody who is going to do this race? How far out? should they start doing it? And luckily I have about four weeks to get ready. So it'll be off the bike and then it'll be all chopping all the time, probably three, maybe four days a week. A lot of single arm pulling for diagonal loading, a lot of single arm pressing and as many chopping patterns with medicine balls or sandbags or bands or whatever that I can come up with. Hey, I mean, just remember you're the coach. You don't have to take your own advice. You're superhuman. You, the rules don't apply to you. <laughs> superhuman. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that when I started uh, for doing some my reason, every class. For some reason, every coach thinks, yeah, I tell the clients to do that, but I don't need to do that. Yeah, do as I say, right? Yep. What was yep, Dan Jones exactly. say? Trainer who trains himself has a dummy for a client. <laughs> Very true. Very right? true. That's actually a Dan John I haven't heard yet. So I'm glad that got thrown in the mix. Yeah, I think it's in his intervention book. Oh, okay. 
I'll have to check that one out. But back to the um, sling patterns, because I know that's like one one of the things that's like your jam that you do right. a lot of. And honestly, I don't see a whole lot of people doing it in the gym. It's not sexy. It's it's not. Uh, it's, I, I would disagree. It looks very sexy when it's done, but well, nobody knows much, about right? it. To the, the trained eye, there's um, uh, what's her name? Jess Bento Physio. Yes, she she's involved with the DVRT sandbag people. One okay, of my, so like Josh Hankin and all that. Yes, yes, yes. One of my absolute favorite accounts on social media because. She is all about diagonal slings and how to train them better and training the body as a unit that moves together in concert, right? Not, well, leg day, arm day, whatever day. It's no, it's total body day, right? So one of the things that I saw through her was putting a band around the ankle. You walk out as far as you can get and then just doing uh, like, a, like a John Russin drop step hinge rdl kind of thing oh my yeah. god oh my god i i incorporated chopping with a medicine ball and dude i lit up that the diagonal slings uh, obliques rear del thromboids glutes i mean smoke them if you got them were smoked <laughs> after that but it was cool because the next day on my bike i felt so much more connected more importantly connected through corners more importantly, connected out of the saddle. I felt like the timing was better right to left through the middle of the body, throwing the bike back and forth. So Jess Bento, at Jess Bento Physio, I mean, clearly our accounts are tremendous. Let's not undercut ourselves. But her account, if you're really into optimizing the way your body moves, that is a phenomenal account to follow. Definitely. I'm going to have to put that in the show notes so everybody can go check it out. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. And then from her you'll find a whole bunch of other uh, sandbag folks that you can you can follow all right i'll have to make a note here got it all right cool yeah because i mean those are one of those i remember seeing like josh hankin at uh perform better summit like uh, that had to have been like five six years ago and he's doing all this stuff and i'm like i have never seen this before <laughs> like i've sandbags were so new at that time that it's like how do we even use this thing yeah, um, now I'm having my clients, the ones that, that don't have any weights, with the stability ball, setting up in dead bug position, and this is inspired by Jess Bento's content, smashing the ball together however hard they can, and then the left leg's going out, taking it diagonally over the right shoulder, straight arm touching the ground, and then bringing it back together, driving the ball into the knee, and just going back and forth, and then the other side. Man, I did those the other day. And and I swear to God, Brian, a fly landed my own, on my obliques. I almost started crying. <laughs> <laughs> that just reminded me of the one they were doing. Um, and it's actually same concept, but different execution where it's like with the sandbag, they all of them have handles on the outsides, yes. which is part of the versatility of it all. But like if anybody at home has one, like one thing you could do is try and pull the bag apart like you're trying to rip it in half. And then as you do the dead bug, as you kick one foot forward, you twist that opposite hand back and the other hand forward, kind of like you're driving a car. And yep. that lights you up like no other. Oh, it's horrible. It's horrible to do that. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things like on the bike, the more horrible it is at the, in the moment. And I'm not talking horrible to the point where your form degrades and your joints hurt the next day. 
and you're just doing it to prove to your friends how tough you are, how strong you are. I'm talking about with the right movement pattern, lighting your muscles up to the point where you can roast marshmallows on them with good form, even if that's only a few reps and getting through that and then building on that. And over time, it's like, oh man, better it's easier to put the seatbelt on it's easier to go down to the dishwasher it's easier to pick the laundry up oh i can rotate uh-huh. to pick something up off the ground without being terrified when i come back up i'm not gonna be able to move for two or three days right so it's it's that kind of thing and mm-hmm. i always tell people Look, it always seems like try... that's how people get hurt is the, right? the loaded rotation and they just never train it and they wonder why they keep getting hurt well again to your point of you don't really see people doing that. You see them doing the big rock moves, you know, deadlift, squat, carries, which are sort of rotational, um, push-ups, pull-ups, dips. But it, it, I rarely see people even working on the rolling pattern of a getup or just doing the first part of a getup or a single arm pushing and pulling, which is still diagonal loading or out of a split stance, single arm pushing and pulling which should be bread and butter in everybody's workouts. It really should. You know, yeah. prime the pump with the two-arm, two-leg thing for a few reps, boom, right into to split stance, single-arm stuff. You guys, you'll get a lot more done. You'll save a ton of time doing it, and you'll feel better and move better. Yeah, because, I mean, let's be honest. If we do the typical bro stuff, like we're going to check a lot of boxes, work a lot of muscles, but just because we work the muscles doesn't mean that we're going to move better or feel better. Right. And there's a big, big difference between the two. Yes, yes, yes. After, uh, again, back to Jess Mento, one of the things she does is just loads of rotating, pushing and pulling while racking a kettlebell. So I thought, all right, I'm going to try racking the bell and doing a single arm suspension row. And you can't, you can't go nearly as deep as you can without the bell. And, oh, my God, so much more muscle turned on. And while it was terribly, terribly unpleasant to do, like rolling over in bed or turning, it was like, pop, 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 my back just released, right? So my body really, really responds well to that kind of thing. When I don't do it, my body does not respond well. Yeah, I got to say that like initial, like when you do a loaded rotation, like whether you're doing like a twisting press or like a palov or even like a like a dead bug for the first time, like any little bit of that rotation, all of a sudden you get that pop, pop, pop. It's like, oh, that loosened up. I don't know what it loosened up, but it felt so good. Yeah, 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 definitely. Definitely, definitely. Agreed, mister. Kind of like when you uh, hang for the first time and then all of a sudden your shoulders like stretch out and you're like, what? Oh, that's the other thing too, man, is I've been doing uh, three times 30 seconds hanging and oh, Especially after a ride, <laughs> I feel I feel like five eight and a half, man. It's the best. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, I get <laughs> mentally I get that extra half inch. And that's probably a generous <laughs> five eight before I start stretching or hanging. But yeah, dude. Yeah. And then the grip strength is so much better and in on the days where I can engage my pinky even more, it just feels even better. And yeah, the hanging is yeah. good stuff. Yeah, that's why I honestly think like any kind of a pull-up bar should like some form of one should be in like everybody's house just so they could hang a couple times a day because when you do, you feel so much better. 
Like yeah, most yeah, of us don't be... get that relief from gravity. Like we don't get that decompression. I've got these handles that clamp on to uh, uh, the threshold of a door, which is uh -huh. a lot safer than, well, it was at my house a long time ago. Oh my God, poor Jeremy one time, little guy. He closed the door and the bar, the pull-up bar was across the door and it almost oh, no. got him. So after that day, I was like, I got to get those things because they're lighter and they're a lot safer, but they're super cool because you can adjust the width of them. And I like them and they're just really comfortable handles and uh, they're good. In fact, they're in my office right now. So every time I'm coming through the house, I thought, okay, where do I go through the house the most? That's where I'm going to put these things. And every time I do, I'll just hang for 30 seconds and then go about my business. So that way I get the reps in. I see him I'm like, oh yeah, there they are. Oh, you better do the thing because that's what you tell people to do. Yep. I'll have to get the link for those, the pull-up handles, because that definitely right, sounds a lot second. safer and more space efficient. <laughs> uh, called... uh, let's see here. Duonamic. D-U-O-N-A-M-I-C. And then you get this thing here and you open it up on the door. Huh. There you go. That is pretty yeah, nifty right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard about them from uh, Matt Shifley, Red Delta Project. Yeah, it's good stuff. Awesome. Do you remember how much those run for? That's a darn good question. They weren't cheap, but they were worth it. This is why I need to recruit somebody to be like my second in charge, like my Jamie on like Joe Rogan. <laughs> hey, Jamie, look up how much those duonamics are. <laughs> yeah. They also have a version that I think there's a strap with rings on them too. So you can do ring work from your door jam. Found them. There we go. All right. So it looks like they're definitely not on the cheap end, but I mean, with something like this, you don't want them to be cheap. <laughs> like no. you want this to be sturdy. So it looks like there's one for 70 bucks and then there's another version for 130. Yeah. 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 When it comes to things like okay. that, I'll pay more just because, well, you know, on the kids love hanging from those. I'm like, you know, I got to get the safest thing possible because they're going to swing on them and they're going to do yeah. all kinds of things. And they, they have pull up contests every once in a while and they'll swing from them and they'll do knees to bar and all kinds of stuff. And I don't want to be freaking out. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just, it's easier. Yeah. But yeah, I love these things. Yeah. They're hey, great. You buy, you buy twice. Right. Yeah. And they're, they're good yeah. for scapular retraction work as well. Cause I'll do them standing and kind of do it assisted just to open the, the rib cage and stuff from all the writing. It's good stuff. Yep. Yep. Damn. Now I'm really like kind of sad. I don't have a pull-up bar right now. I got to put, I got to get one in the mail. I just want to yeah. hang for a sec. <laughs> get some of these, man. Cause then you can put them anywhere in your house too. That's true. That's true. And yeah. could definitely bring them around to, uh, to the clients, the in-person ones and just be like, well, I got it. <laughs> yeah. And I've also, have you seen the, uh, angles 90 handles? Yeah, I actually have those. Yeah. Yeah. So I've clipped those on as well to get an even, even more of a feel. And that's, it's nice. Yep. It's odd that when you do pull-ups with the free roaming handles, how much harder it is. Like oh, when yeah. you're not pulling from a nice stable surface, like and your arm can move the way it wants to, it's like 10 times harder. And I'm like, what the hell? I thought this would be smoother and easier. Right. But with those, especially with the, uh, angles 90, the way you can engage your pinkies 
Oh man, so much more control. Like I was having some really bad elbow bite at one point and I got those things. First rep, gone. From doing the same thing, again, my my individual result, yours may vary, uh, but it was gone <laughs> because I was able to engage things better up and down the chain and whatever was hurting felt more supported, didn't hurt. Yeah. And that's the key is to just, again, find that equipment that works with your body. You don't have to use a certain piece of equipment if it keeps hurting or it doesn't feel right. Well, and that's the thing. I, I think people get married to things. Yeah. Right. Like well, they get comfortable. I'm, They're like, I know how to use this. I know what to do. I'm only going to lift an Olympic bar and I'm only going to use this or that, but I feel horrible the next day. Like, well, okay. Why? do you feel horrible and b yeah. why are you married to the thing that makes you feel horrible right it's either a case of well that's how we've always done it or i don't really know what else to do right so if it hurts it's your body saying please don't do this and if you continue to do yeah. this you're not going to be able to do all that much for a while yeah it's like I, I do think it stems from a, a fear of like looking dumb or like looking like you don't know what you're doing. But I mean, I forget who said it. I want to say it was like Mike Boyle, but I heard sometime in my early training career, you either feel dumb by figuring it out or you stay dumb for not asking the question. Yeah. So like you either that. feel dumb for a, for a brief moment or you stay dumb. So take your pick. <laughs> yeah. And I think that I have limited attention span. Give me the most simple things I can do that are going to give me a huge bang for the buck. Like, all right. You're going to crawl forward and backward. And then ideally you're going to hang from something with scapular retraction. That's it. Just lock your shoulder blades down. And then some form of a single leg squat that challenges your balance. Right. And then after you master that, then maybe you can do uh, reverse negatives on the pull ups, or you can throw in uh, some cones and do figure eight crawling. And then maybe you can load up your single leg squat or progress it to this is one of the things I have my clients do. And oh, Brian, and I apologize to, to those of you Brian trains by telling him this little, little secret. <laughs> the ones that don't have weights at home, but they, I don't want to say made the mistake of getting a suspension training, but they got suspension training. <laughs> uh, I love do the rear PRX. Foot, yeah, rear foot elevated, drop down into a plank, hold that almost 90 degrees for about 30 seconds, up and down for 30 seconds, then drop back down for 30 seconds, and then switch sides. Woo! That's 90 <laughs> seconds of time under tension for the glutes. Oh, mama. I have learned new action verb phrases <laughs> I didn't think existed from the people that shared them with me, but it was a way to progress just going up and down, right? It was just, it was a simple progression. We just added more time, preloaded reps, did the reps, caused more fatigue, and then sat in a deep state of fatigue, having to get the muscles to fire up more. And that's yeah, footwork. You can't go wrong when you make it harder. No, that's, that's uh, stabilization from the ground up. That's let's get, because most people I train, they train barefoot at home. Uh, that's pinky toe, big toe, short foot, 
to work on those intrinsic muscles of the foot to get that better grounding on the way up. Some of the folks I train have the silicone toe spacers, so they get even more out of it. Um, I mean, and then over time, you could try to load that up super light. I'm talking like a 10-pound dumbbell, if you're lucky. It's, you're like, most people be like, 10-pound dumbbell, come on. Like, no, really, that oh, 10 pounds. It'll, it'll humble different. you real quick. We were doing that sequence one time before I moved. Uh, and I was I joined in on a Saturday with some friends. We just jumped on Zoom and worked out. And I thought, I'm going to get my sandbag. And I'm going to do a diagonal reach as I'm going up and down in the middle. I bet that'll be good. Oh, I only had like, I don't know, 20 pounds in the bag. I almost cried. I almost started crying. <laughs> it was that bad. I was needing well, a hug. To be my fair, 20, 20 pounds in a bag is awkward weight. It's not like picking up a 20 pound dumbbell. So right? it feels like 40. Yeah. And you know, again, it was just super simple. We just made simple a little more challenging. Yeah. Now, yeah, and, now you're and, making me remember back back to when I was in the fire academy and they had these like dummies that we'd have to drag around. They're like 200-ish pounds, like an average size human. And I'm big meathead and I'm like, I got this. Back up. I can do it myself. And I was like, <gasps> didn't move an inch. <laughs> well, plus with that stuff, there's, there's so many more components. I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but – when you get the load up, you've got to stabilize it isometrically. Right? Yeah. You got to breathe over your brace and then, oh yeah, I got to move this thing. Right. So you're, you're moving a huge load under gargantuan time under tension uh, uh, parameters and you have to keep going, you know, yeah. that's hard. That is hard. And that's like very good, very specific training for like, especially like, parents with younger kids like yep. a toddler isn't just like they're not just dead weight they're actively squirming to get away from you so yes, sandbag are. training can have a lot of carryover oh yeah and it's cheap too it's a lot yeah. 150 pounds of sand in a and maybe even two bags is a hell of a lot cheaper than you know that much weight divided by two to four kettlebells yeah. And you could even go cheaper and get rice bags. Like you could oh. get like a big sack of rice. And that's, if you get like the ones that are like in a, a like a cloth that are oh, yeah. very hard to break, those things can work well too. Oh, nice. Did not know that. Yeah. I'm all about the cheap solution here, Al. <laughs> <laughs> I want to try one of the uh, DVRT uh, water filled bags just to see if, if yes. that's a lot different or not because I've, I've tried to use the slosh pipe oh man those are brutal and i'm just wondering what that's like with you know yeah speaking of water i just saw um you know the landmine you guy i do i don't know if i do or not yeah it's the this guy that like does like a landmine certification course but he put like i this uh water basically like a balloon on the end of the landmine and was doing exercises with it and i'm like that Whoa. looks like it would absolutely destroy your core in the best of ways yeah yeah oh wow interesting i want to try it <laughs> the water stuff is well, cool like i feel like that's yeah. like the next thing that we're going to see a lot more that's a problem talking to people like you that i, I 
I hear about that kind of stuff, and then I'm thinking, oh, I bet that'd be fun. And then I do it. Like, <laughs> it wasn't really very fun at all. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. It sounds so nice, and then you actually do it, and you're like, nope, 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 bad idea. <laughs> yeah, and, and to your point uh, with the water, it's funny you mentioned that. I was talking to, to somebody I'm training today about uh, sleep, and I was like, look, you have a pool. Go walk in your pool before you go to bed and just get that really deep relaxing pressure on the body and then go and see what happens so i'll be interested to see how that affects because i have a if it's any like i have a weighted blanket oh man if you don't have uh, one of those oh i i love my weighted blanket it get it my wife is a, a pediatric occupational therapist and she was the one who first introduced me to that kind of thing as it's a soothing calming thing so if i'm all revved up I've used the blanket and it's just like, oh, this is good. <laughs> yeah. That kind of sounds like, uh, you ever see uh, the Temple Grandin movie, like kind of documentary thing? I don't think so. Well, since we love talking about movies on this podcast, for, oh, anybody, who does, for anybody who does listen for that, Temple Grandin is like a a movie that's about this woman who actually revolutionized livestock and the humane treatment of it when it's getting ready for slaughter. So if you ever see like on a farm, these like prep, these V shaped machines, the cattle go into them and it like hugs them to calm them down. Huh. So it's like the same concept as a weighted blanket where it's like the compression, like squeezing them actually like reduces their heart rate and gets them to be more compliant when they're doing the like line to go get yeah. slaughtered. <laughs> well, it, that, I think that was one of the reasons why when we swaddled the kids, it, that would help too, right? Yeah. Wrapping well, them really snugly in the yeah. blankets. I wonder if I could yep. still do and that And she actually now. came up with it. Yeah. I think so That's because she actually came up with it because she's on the spectrum and she r wouldn't hug her parents or anything. But when she made this machine, she got so much stress relief from it because she didn't understand like the concept of like a hug. So she's like, huh. Oh my God, this is amazing. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. So, yeah. Yeah. That, if that, anybody wants to check it out, Temple Grandin, it's literally just that. Right on. Yeah. Put it in the notes. So I can check What's it out. that? Put it in the notes so I can check Definitely. it out. Yeah, things like that. And I found that that walking on my grass barefoot, that helps to to mellow me up. What is that called? Earthing, I think. Yeah. Earthing? Yeah. I or grounding. Grounding. Grounding, earthing, something yeah. like that. I feel like that's one of those things like nobody in like modern medicine is going to give enough of a crap to put money into figuring out what exactly the thing is, but there's something there. There is a hundred percent, like something that yeah, yeah. like is going on that improves people's, I don't know what, like I just see so many people doing it and they definitely feel an effect from it. Yeah, definitely that and walking on sand and yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. I like it. I like it. I like it. Mm-hmm. I just think it wakes up the proprioceptors in our feet because we have like our socks on, our our shoes on all the time. And it's like, yeah. same with our hands too. Like we don't give them enough credit that like we can feel textures and get that feedback. And I think it for a lot of people, it feels kind of nice and reassuring that you know where you are in space, like truly know where you are. Have you ever used uh, either inserts for the shoes or a, a mat 
from Naboso. Are you familiar with those? No. So it's essentially, it's a yoga mat, but it's got little, I don't know what the material is, little nubby spikes on it. And Oh, yes, I yes, was, I do know what you're talking about. Okay. I, I thought it was just like another fitness or industry kind of gimmicky thing. And then I used one and, oh my gosh, range of motion was better. Stability of the foot from the ground up was better. Activation of the toes was better. The form cleaned up quite a bit. I was able to move heavier loads. It was, it's cool. So I have the inserts for the shoes and using those barefoot. Oh man, it's good stuff. Cause you get all of that yeah. feedback into the foot. That's like when I, the only time I've ever been to a spa, because I'll be honest, I can't sit still, but there was one section of it where it was like this warm, shallow water and there's rocks that you walk over and they're oh, like, nice. it's like slight, slightly unpleasant, but then you get to the end and you're all done and you're like, I kind of like that. Yeah. 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 Nice. 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 All right. All right. Well, I think yeah. I'm going to completely derail the train and get into the information that I know, I know people are really here for. So I'll, I'll ask you first, The Flash, your thoughts, mister. Honestly, I haven't even watched it because that's one of those, when it comes to DC, I wait for it to stream. I've learned my lesson. I don't bother. And not only that, the more I dive into Ezra Miller and what he's done and what he is actively doing, I'm just like, Ugh, I I really don't want to support that guy. Or sorry, yeah. them. I don't want to support them. Fair enough, fair enough. I I enjoyed it, um, separating the art from the artist. It was a good trip down memory lane. Michael Keaton as Batman was, oh. Awesome. And that's what kills me. I want to see the people that they brought back because I heard that they show so many people from the older movies. Oh, the cameos. There's one scene where it's it's like a just cameo after cameo after cameo. And it is really, really cool. Really cool. Like, quick spoiler alert, uh, Nicolas Cage's version of Superman, what would have been, I think Tim Burton was supposed to direct that. He's in it. Fighting a, a <laughs> Thanagarian something or other that looks like a big spider, you know, and that was really cool. Huh. And it just it that part I I liked, I liked. I was surprised yeah. that I liked it as much as I did, um, because there were so many mixed reviews around it, and it was a solid, solid B B plus. I think there's a couple things okay. they could have sussed out a little more. Unfortunately there won't be a sequel because the uh, James Gunn is taking it a dir the direction of DC away from what Zack Snyder had, but uh, it was good. It was good. Yeah. Well, to be fair, like I, I get, I totally understand the hiring of Zack Snyder at that time. Cause he's coming off of like 300 and like, it's a big, yeah, yeah. big universe with all these larger than life. It's like, this should work. It just didn't like, for the most part as for, like competing with Marvel and like the reach it had, it just didn't stick. Well, I think that he went like as a, as a, a lifelong comic book geek nerd, I liked what he did, 
but for mass appeal when you put it up against what marvel was doing lighter funnier uh, uh the interaction of the characters and more jovial and everything else that wasn't what dc did they decided well let's take what tim nolan or yeah what nolan did and make it darker right yeah. which didn't need to be dark and you know again like i said they, from from the nerds perspective the content was good but from a general audience perspective yeah. i think it was too dark i think that they didn't really do superman much justice because superman i think quintessentially is the christopher reeves character in was that mind. a pun there was that did i catch a pun there you saying they didn't do superman justice oh well played sir well <laughs> the the my dad joke gene just resuscitated and feels horrible it's now. just embedded <laughs> but uh you know superman is a light character bright colored character right and they made him too dark too broody just didn't didn't do well they did wonder woman really well i think that ben affleck's batman was good it, it you know again it's all what is written for them to perform right but uh when you put that up against marvel marvel was more polished they clearly had a plan from iron man through avengers endgame and how all of the universe came together dc yeah. didn't have that comprehensive plan and i don't think they had the long-range vision long-range vision you know um green lantern could have been amazing especially with that the the end of credit scene with mark strong when sinestro finds the, the yellow ring you know um but they didn't they didn't have it and apparently yeah. the aquaman movie they did a bunch of edits and reshoots recently because it, it wasn't testing well from what i read so you know momoa as aquaman was good black manta is a great aquaman villain but again it's like the last vestiges of the, the Snyderverse. so just yeah read it and move on i'm excited for blue beetle I think that's going to be good. I, I was think... just about to ask you, like I saw, I saw the trailer for that and I saw Miguel from uh, Cobra Kai and I'm like, this could be really good or really bad. Yeah. And I don't think that's a Zack Snyder entry into the universe. I don't think it is. And is they... Blue Beetle DC or MC? Yes. DC. DC. Okay. Yeah. yeah. For some reason yeah. I thought it was MCU. Um, but it, it, uh, it looks good. And I think that's one of the reasons why I think the standalone films did well, you know, the Batman with Robert Pattinson and the Jokers, because they didn't tie in to the greater universe that was existing at the time. And I think the fans voted with their wallets on that saying, Hey, look, we're tired of this other universe, you know, with the exception of the two Shazam movies, I think that they were just tired of it. And they wanted. Yeah, well, they I think that's why new. the MCU did so much better because they started with the origin stories. They didn't jump right in like with Suicide Squad, but they didn't throw like ten characters at you and say, "Well, you yeah. should know this by now." We'll just give you a little brief synopsis in the beginning, get you up to speed. No, they did like Iron Man one through three. They did Captain America. Like they did the Hulk twice, but like, yeah. Oh, and then. Um... The Spider-Man reboots, you know, with those were really good. 
once yeah once they well got, they did spider-man justice to... like in the way that they put him in that universe as the kid so it was the right version of spider-man to fit yeah so what do you think of marvelous mrs Maisel being cast as lois lane <laughs> honestly that's one of those the marvelous mrs Maisel is like one of those things i've heard clients i've heard my mom my aunt say you gotta watch it and i'm like oh, so i good. have I have not gotten around to it. I've been so preoccupied with like secret invasion and like all this other stuff. Like yeah. there's a new Marvel like series coming out every freaking month. It's hard to keep up. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think that, that she'll bring back the Margot Kidder feel to the character. She looks like her, the, the sassy, strong, just sarcastic, character she plays in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, I think is going to translate really, really well into playing Lois Lane. And I forgot the yeah. name of the guy that they got to play Superman, but he looks hmm. the part. So that'll, that'll be good too. Yeah. And that reminds me of uh, who they put in Secret Invasion. I'm looking her up right now because I totally am spacing right now. Olivia Coleman. Oh my God. Like talk about an addition. She was the one for anybody who wasn't sure who she is. She was the one that played Queen Elizabeth in the crown in the middle, like the seasons three and four. And she steals the show. It's absurd how good she is compared to everybody else. Nice, nice. Well, going the other way from MCU to other, Haley Atwell was in the most recent Mission Impossible movie so good mm -hmm. so good and i'm gonna say i loved top gun maverick i thought it was phenomenal it was i mean no no joke brian we've probably seen that movie 15 times in this house jeremy just loves it so we watch it all the time <laughs> yeah right? i think we're i think we're on three or four which is saying a lot because we don't rewatch stuff here three or four for for us nice nice it might be better yes better than top gun maverick it was, it was like the opening scene, it grabbed you and that movie did not let you go until the house lights came up and it ended. It, it was, Do wow. you might, you might get me in. I mean, I had an exception with Maverick because again, it's one of those separating the, the art from the artist. Yes. Tom Cruise is one of those I have a hard time with, <laughs> but you might have convinced me to see a Mission Impossible movie. I well, haven't seen I think, any of them for that purpose. Go see it for Simon Pegg and Agent Carter. How about that? Okay, fair enough. Yeah, Simon uh, Pegg was hilarious, dude. Just the chemistry between Simon Pegg and Vin Rain, Vin Rain, Rains, Rains, Rains is phenomenal. Really, really good. Yeah, and actually. I, you brought him up before Chris Nolan. Are you going to see Oppenheimer? <sighs> that might be too heavy for me. Yeah. It, it, it looks. So you're going to be seeing Barbie. Oh God. <laughs> you got two I... options right now. Those are your only two. Oh God. Can I read a book instead? <laughs> um, can I watch golf instead? <laughs> oh god barbie you're oh, the opens god. on right now so i mean i guess oh man um i don't know if i can see harley quinn playing barbie so i guess i would see the christopher nolan film 
Yeah. See, I that? could see it though, because Harley Quinn has a whimsical side to her that I could see working really well a hundred percent of the time for Barbie. Okay. I don't know. Uh, um Will Farrell's in it, so yeah, go see <laughs> go see it for Will Farrell. I don't know. Speaking of Will Farrell, I was like walking out of a session the other day and I saw the internship was on TV. Right. Have you seen him in that? I have not. He's like, it's with uh, oh, Vince Vaughn and, uh, oh my God, I'm spacing on his name. Uh, Luke Wilson's brother. Uh, Owen? Owen Wilson, Owen yes. Wilson? It's weird that I phrase that as Luke Wilson's brother. It's usually the other way around. But mm -hmm. they're like joining Google for an internship. And when they're quitting their job, they're quitting Will Ferrell's mattress selling business. And he's like oh this burnout guy with like tattoos on his neck, threatening them like, hey, you take this shirt off. It never goes back on. And they're like, all right, peace. I forgot he, he was in that. During Christmas time, the musical spin on A Christmas Carol that he did with Ryan Reynolds, Will Ferrell. Yeah, Spirited. Yeah, that was good. I was I, surprised. I, I really it. was expecting that to not be good. And I, right? I enjoyed it. It wasn't like on the level of like iconic Christmas movie, but I'm like, this is right. a good one to throw in the mix. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was really good. It was really good. And one of the, uh, oh, was it the Ghost of Christmas? What was What role did she play? present maybe well it wouldn't be future because that was tracy morgan i think okay so maybe it was present she was in mission maybe. impossible as one of the uh, cia agents no okay you're really pushing mission impossible here i'm gonna good, i'm gonna man. have to see I, it the action like. alone and the 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 motorcycle stunt alone I mean, and the chase scene in the, the little yellow car, <laughs> it was just yeah ridiculous. And, and, and honestly, I feel like I have to see it out of just respect for like keeping it as real as possible. Because I heard that during filming, there were a couple of times where they honestly thought Tom Cruise was dead. <laughs> like he like fell off the helicopter like twice, yeah. I think. And I'm just I like, did. well, if, if you're willing to do that for this for this movie, I guess I should watch it. <laughs> yeah, he does his own stunts, which is pretty impressive, man. And I heard another one about now that it came up, because I guess they're just like pushing the press hard on it. But there was another stunt where somebody was going to stab him and it was in his eye. And apparently it was a very real knife and it was like centimeters away to the point where the actor who was doing it felt very uncomfortable. They're like, you sure? Was that Mission Impossible 3? Because there's one scene um, where he's, I believe he's it was the most recent. there's a knife right by his eye. Okay, maybe it was that one then. So it was an older yeah. one, but still like that level of dedication. I'm like, ah, oh, you're making it really hard to not see this movie. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, how about this? You can go see Mission Impossible. And then after that, you can watch Reacher with the guy who played Hawk from Titans to kind of cleanse that palate if you want to. Wait, Reacher, is that, you mean Jack Reacher? 
yeah, yeah. But not not the movie. The, the series, I think, was on Amazon Prime. Oh, yeah. I watched it all because you know who that is? That's Thad Castle. I... Who? Thad Castle from Blue Mountain State. <laughs> he was, he was like, a, a, like Blue Mountain State is a combination of American Pie and Division One football. Oh, okay. So nice. he played like the guy that plays Reacher plays the total opposite of what he is in that movie because he's basically a coked out D one linebacker that like has sex with a million women and is like dumb as bricks. And he's just a giant douche, but lovable all at the same time. So he's kind of like, uh, Stifler. Okay. Yeah. He's basically kind of like Stifler, but with way less awareness. Okay. Okay. Well then if you, if you like him as Reacher, then you'll like him in Titans as Hawk. Titans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's a DC Al, you're just thing. loading it's... up my notes section. You're you're putting me to work on this one. <laughs> yeah. Titans is pretty good. I enjoy it. <sighs> yeah. Okay. I'll check that one out for sure. And I still gotta get around to I I swear to God, for like months and months and months, I'm like, I gotta get around to the Batman movie that Al told me about. And I never ever ended up watching it it was batman and you said it was the berserker it was animated or live action when i asked you what your favorite when i asked oh, you what well, your batman favorite movie mask was mask of the phantasm what was it mask phantasm. of the phantasm i'm like that's yeah mask of the phantasm 70 minutes of your life you'll be glad you spent yeah that's gonna be a weekend movie where i'm like all right i don't have any particular thing i'm in the mood to watch i'm gonna put on what al told me there you go there you go have you seen the uh season four of jack ryan uh i have not my <gasps> girlfriend's Ooh. mother actually had it on for like an episode or two and i was like kind of half watching like on my phone and i was looking up i'm like another thing i have to go back and watch <laughs> it's really good really yeah. really good i enjoyed it quite a bit yeah, I just can't wrap my head around John Krasinski not being in the office. Oh, no, it's so hard one, to take like, him seriously. That's Jim. Okay, but but then halfway through season one, when it got into the actual, I was like, that's Jack Ryan. That's not Jim Halpert. Okay, this works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I heard so many people but- say that. Oh my God, it's hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, that kind of looks like Jim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but hey, maybe they'll mess with us one one of these days and get a Asian Jim on there and not say a word. They'll just swap him out and be like, "This is Jack Ryan." <laughs> you remember when he messes with Dwight and it's like <laughs> he's like eight, he brings in the guy that that actually played uh, Kim Jong Il in uh, the interview. Oh my gosh, I do not. But he's Jim. Oh, uh, you gotta go, go you gotta go watch that back. That was one of my favorite episodes because he's like, You're not Jim. And then he pulls up a picture of him and Pam and he's like photoshopped <laughs> in and he's got his whole life story. And Dwight's like, What is going on? Oh, okay. He was in uh was he what movie was was Rain Wilson in? Was he in not super bad? Um he was in a superhero movie thing, wasn't he? He was, and I saw it. 
He might have been, but I saw him in something else. I can't remember. But I did just actually uh, pick up his book. That it's pretty good, Soul Boom. Okay. He's on like a bunch of podcasts and stuff now promoting it. Definitely a good read. What's the premise? What's it about? Basically, it's it's weird because like the you hear Dwight doing the I listen to Audible, so you hear him in your ear, and he's talking about all the different religions of the world and how they like. There's a lot of similar lessons and like how we're in much need of like a spiritual like like it needs to have more of a place in a lot of people's lives. And I'm like, I hear what you're saying. I'm picking it up, but it's still weird to hear it from Dwight. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, dude. I feel like if 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 Gilbert Godfrey read like War and Peace, something like that. Pretty much. That would be like a very similar thing. <laughs> now I'm just hearing that in my head and I'm laughing my ass off. <laughs> nice. Nice, nice, nice. Now, unfortunately, I do have to cut this off. I okay. unfortunately these darn clients need their attention, I think. So I'll end it with one last question. I know I already got you on the mask of the phantasm, but if you were to pick a second best movie of all time that you would recommend, what would it be? Across anything, period. Anything. Oh, miracle. Miracle by far. The story of the 1980 U S Olympic hockey team. Yeah. There we go. Every, every damn time I see that movie, and I don't remember who they playing. I don't know the the scene where they're just doing all the liners again, shh, again. Michael Ruzioni. I'm like, ah. I, I always, I yep. get, I, I always get chills when you hear the... I get all teary eyed. I'm like, yeah. I get so yep. I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would, that's the movie right there. I'm getting the chills right now. Just yeah. thinking about I, like, I when they play the live footage or not the live footage, the live audio when it's mm-hmm. like, do you believe in miracles? And you see Rosioni like running on the ice. <laughs> and then the special features in that, the choreography, amazing. I mean, the movements are one to one of what they were then and what they did in the movie. Although now you're going to have, you're going to have to see this because there was an editing Oh, I don't want to call it a miscue, but somebody somebody missed it. They're going through the crowd, and I think it's a game against the USSR. And there's somebody in what is it? A Houston Astros, um, like a pinwheel hat, right? And it's like in 1980, that hat didn't off? exist. Yeah, 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 yeah. So every time I watch, I look for the the pinwheel hat. But yeah, it's pretty. <laughs> I don't have to rewatch cool. it now and look for it. Yeah, but I mean, just the way that the the passion of the crowd was captured and the story developing from what the country was going through at the time. I was, how old was I? Let's see. I was uh, nine at the time when that when that game was played. I remember watching it too, and just with the like, my parents would watch the news and I would hear about the stuff was going on. That eh, yeah, doesn't really like. Why are you watching that? There's sports on it. And, uh, but just the way that it, it captured the essence of what that game meant to the country at the time, because of the, the economic status of what was going on here and just the geopolitical world at the time and everything else. And just the, the passion of all the letters that people sent to the team 
telling them, you know, good luck and everything else. And just they they captured a nation and, and coast to coast. We were all Americans that day. No political parties, nothing. It was we are Americans and our team just pulled off a miracle. Because it's a bunch of ragtag, I shouldn't say ragtag, but a bunch of college kids that were beating a team that destroyed an NHL all-star team. You know, the best of the best playing here. And just the dominance of that rushing team for as long as they had it and for the, the Americans to come and, and knock it off, right? And then just and then the gold medal game was almost like a formality after that when they won. Do you know do you remember who they beat? The USSR team? No, to win the gold medal. Oh, to win the gold medal. Wasn't it Finland or something like yes, that? Or well played. Very well played. Yeah. It was Finland? It was, yeah. And just but to win that and that accomplishment that those twenty, however many players, that the hard work they put in and the coach uh knowing the system that was it was gonna take and the chemistry of the players that it was gonna take and the skill set of the players it was gonna take to beat that team at their own game. It was yeah. So I kind of like that movie yeah. a little bit. <laughs> well, that's just an that's just a perfect example of what a true coach is. Like, there's coaches that like yeah. just are along for the ride, and then there's coaches that are composers to the nth degree. He was like the perfect composer and knew exactly what he wanted, who needed to be there, and how to get it done. Yeah, and Kurt Russell was so good in that role. Yeah, yeah, he really was. I mean, uh. Suit, what was it? Uh, oh, I'm blanking now, but when he was that superhero for uh, when his kid was in high school, I mean, that was kind of his peak, but no, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm just kidding. The uh, sky high, that's it. Ah, uh, yes, you probably don't even know yeah, that he movie. Played, he played professional baseball. I got another movie for you to watch on Netflix, it's called The Battered Bastards of Baseball. Have you ever had Big League Chew? Guess the I'll gun? link that again. <laughs> the Battered Bastards of Baseball. I think it's on Netflix. Have you ever had Big League Chew? The 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 bubble yeah. gum that's in, okay. So the character that's on that package played on the the Portland Mavericks team. And it it is Kurt Russell's dad started this team. It's kind of like a barnstorming thing. And then they just started just handling business with uh, minor league teams. And it's it's a really good story. And Kurt Russell was a minor league baseball player. Did not know that. I'll have to yeah. check it out. It's a it's a fun movie. It's it's um the characters on the team. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's good. It's good. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Well, we got plenty of movies to pick from now. Everybody listening, I know you came. I'm probably gonna like link this and say that it's like about endurance and things like that, but let's be honest. The the highlight here was the movies. Like yeah, we knew it was going to go that direction. You had a fair warning. So there you have it. <laughs> Thank yeah, you and, and Al for coming on. If... Oh, go ahead. I don't want to cut you off. What were you going to say? I, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm, I'm very fluent in speaking knucklehead ease, knucklehead at ease, whatever. And babble, babble ease. I'm very good at it. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> hey, it's a, it's a skill. I so, agree. Now, if somebody's catching you for the first time, Al, and they're like, all right, I like what he was saying. I want to see more of what he's putting out there into the world. Where can they find you? Perfect. Which will 
also, along with all this other stuff, be linked in the show notes. So I, all I ask from anybody listening right now is literally just to go into the show notes just for my pure effort of tagging all of this crap. So <laughs> at least just scroll down and take one look at it for just for me. <laughs> so again, Al, thank you for coming on. For everybody listening, thank you so much. Hope you have an amazing rest of your week and I will see you next time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode and you're a new listener, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss another episode. And if you're a returning listener, I would love your feedback. If you could take two seconds to just leave a quick review on iTunes or Spotify and rate the show, that would be greatly appreciated. So thank you in advance and have a great rest of your week.